We live in a world that's dramatically changed its view of truth, resulting in an inherited value system that denies the existence of truth. Past generations of Americans viewed God as the basis of truth and morality. Not anymore. Hot topics include the chasm between biblical view of sexuality and the secular view, which grows wider every day. Every week, there seems to be a new headline on social media about an author, blogger, musician, worship leader, pastor, or YouTube celebrity reinventing historic Christian absolutes. The most common thread in many of these stories is progressive Christianity and cultural relativism. But what is it? Where did it come from? Is it really progressing? Why is it growing in popularity? And what has been its impact on society? Historically, one of the most eternally significant questions in the Bible was posed by an unbeliever, Pilate, who turned to Jesus and asked, what is truth? 2,000 years later, the whole world inhales Pilate's cynicism on an hourly basis. Some say truth is a power play, a meta-narrative constructed by moral types. To some, truth is subjective, individual world of preference and opinion. Others believe truth is a collective judgment, the product of cultural consciousness. Still others flatly deny the concept of truth altogether. In this episode of Keeper 100, we will talk about absolutes, cultural relativism, progressive Christianity, and the timeless and tested truth of God's word. Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight and real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Keep It 100. Hey, fam, what's going on? Come on, we're so excited for this topic this week. We're, we're going there. We are going there. We call our podcast Keep It 100 for a reason, because this week we're keeping it 100, and hopefully every week we're keeping it 100. But before we dive into that, I want to talk about, we had some really fun trips that we just had, and I was last Friday night, I was in Renton, Washington with some amazing women. There's probably like, I would say maybe 500 women gathered on a Friday night. It was just a powerful time of just women going after God and we saw God move. I prayed, I think for women like hours after, and it just saw encounter after encounter deliverances, freedom. And there was, I think 13 salvations that night, which is just awesome, which is probably my favorite thing is some prophetic ministry. And it just, you could feel Holy Spirit moving in the room. So it was just such an honor to be there. And then it was powerful. I watched you online. You you and Natalia, our assistant went, you're prophesying over women. It was amazing. Oh, so such a fun time. I always love being with women. Like one of my favorite things. Yeah. And then on Saturday, I flew to Juliet out in Illinois, right outside Chicago. And Sean and I met there for Mother's Day Sunday. And I preached the two Sunday morning services and Sean preached Sunday night. And what a day we had. We saw, gang, listen to this. Come on. 54 people give their life to the Lord. 54 on Mother's Day. That was awesome. It was amazing. I mean, I I started getting teary-eyed. It was so amazing. And then we just prayed for the sick. There were healings, words of knowledge, deliverance. People were getting delivered. We're seeing an increase in that. it was just a mighty time. And then yes, we were back the following weekend in that area, not the same church, a Christian Life Center doing a women's conference that you and I were both speaking yes. at. Yes. And you know, again, women are like literally my favorite thing to preach to. Men, I love you. You're amazing. But there's something about when women come together, especially right now, God is moving so powerfully. So again, just saw God encounter his daughters. It's always just powerful watching lives get transformed, women encounter Jesus, women getting hope again, restored, and really 
called into their destiny. Such always a powerful time. I enjoy speaking to women as well. Yeah, you do a great and job. so it was fun. And then we did a Sunday morning and it was just powerful. Had a chance to flow and then back home. But it's been amazing. We got great praise reports and uh, just be praying for us. We got some exciting things coming up. We'll be letting you guys know about that. We'll keep it 100 fam. It has been a week of leaks. Weeks <laughs> of leaks. Amidst the leak of the Supreme Court uh, consideration of overturning Roe versus Wade, the Senate last Wednesday did not advance legislation that would write a constitutional right to abortion into federal law. It was a symbolic gesture that supporters of abortion thought that they could use as a first step in a larger strategy to mobilize Americans around what they are eyeing as the possibility and overturning of Roe versus Wade and related decisions. And meanwhile, while all that's happening, we're all aware of the Disney leaked video. Come on, we're talking about things that got leaked this week. The executive producer, Latoya Raveno, talked about the company's not at all secret gay agenda that involved adding queerness to kids' entertainment. Disney General Entertainment President Carrie Burke, the parent of one transgender child and one pansexual child, said she hoped for many, many, many LGBTQIA characters in all our stories. I believe both of these leaks are really pointing to the significance of the topic that we're bringing to you. In this episode, we're going to be talking about absolutes and plumb-like truth and why it is important. You know, think about it. We live in a day where people are talking about hell that is not literal in their eyes. That's called universalism. We're living in a day where people feel like everybody's going to heaven regardless of what they believe. That's called inclusion. We're living in a day where people believe you can practice whatever kind of immorality and sexuality and God is cool with that. That's called antinomialism, which I'll take a moment to explain. Antinomialism believes that there is grace that frees you from obedience. You don't have to obey God's laws. The grace covers you and that is heresy. We're also living in a day where they believe you can throw out God's purposeful design in, in Genesis. And if you're firm on voicing a biblical worldview, then you're committing hate speech. This is the backdrop in which you are growing up in. You know, in a recent report by researcher George Barna, it was called Millennials in America. And it's based on a survey of the attitudes and the beliefs of young adults in both their 20s and their 30s. And in that survey, it found out that six out of 10 respondents of this age group believe there are, quote unquote, no moral absolutes that apply to everyone all the time. Wow. Now, I want you to catch that. I'm going to read that again because I want everyone to really hear this. Sometimes we make a statement, we move right past it. But friends, this is really the crux of what we're talking about today on the necessity and the need for absolutes because six out of 10 respondents in this recent Millennials in America survey by George Barna found out that they believe no moral absolutes uh, that apply to everyone all the time. The report commissioned by the U.S. campaign organization Foundations of Freedom says for some time, Americans have been turning their back on the notion that absolute moral truths exist. Millennials are leading the charge. The spirit of relativity has comfortably settled in among millennials, although it should be noted that more than one-fifth of them, which is about 22%, have yet to figure out where they actually stand on moral truth. Wow. Think about that. But the research found that millennials are generally positive about the person of Jesus Christ. So they're like, yeah, Jesus is cool. But it also found that the Bible fares relatively well, quote unquote, with millennials, although companion research suggests that they're all basically ill-acquainted with its contents. So they actually don't know what the Bible says, but they think Jesus is cool. That's just breaking it down in modern day terms. Hey, keep 100. I just want to prophesy to you. I feel like I have a prophetic word right now. Come on. And I I prophesy in this next season, flourishing, fiery believers are going to rise above the attacks on absolutes and demonstrate a last day's faith like David that faced Goliath that is rooted in Christ and his word to bring about true reformation and gather in historic harvest. And I believe God is going to underscore this by pouring out his spirit on Gen Z 
millennials and others. And you know, I love as you were prophesying that and really just receive that word, just come into agreement with that word right now, because that's such a powerful declaration Sean just made. But as he was saying that word, I actually saw veils on people's eyes when they're stepping to a place of a harvest, this veil of deception, this veil of chaos, so to speak, that has really brought a chaotic uh, sense to people's minds and even their moral compasses, which we're talking about today. I saw that thing coming off, that spirit being exposed and broken off. And when that happened, that's when the harvest took place. I just saw there will be an unveiling of a generation to come into a harvest. There's an unveiling of truth that will pierce the eyes and the hearts, but it's like where they have not seen, where they have been deceived, where the, the lens of their eyes have not captured the truth. They will step into a place of clarity where they're actually able to see it. Come on, somebody. Hey, fam, right now we're going to jump into the Hundo P segment and we're going to answer some questions All right. that have been presented. How would you define an absolute? All right. So this is how I would define it. An absolute is defined as inflexible reality. Now, let me break that down. It means it's fixed. It's invariable. It's unalterable facts, universally valid. It's something that exists without being dependent on anything else. Ooh. So in general, we have to understand absolute truth is whatever is always valid, regardless of parameters or context. The absolute in the term speaks of a quality of truth that cannot be exceeded, complete truth, unvarying and permanent truth. Truth is defined as being absolute possesses the following qualities. Truth is discovered, not invented. Truth is transcultural. It cannot be conveyed across different cultures. Truth is unchanging, which means it can be conveyed across time. Beliefs cannot change a truth statement, no matter how sincere one may be. Come on. Truth is actually unaffected by the attitude of the one professing it. Truth is knowable, which means we have access and knowledge to it. In order for truth to be absolute and holding these qualities, it must be grounded in a source that is personal, unchanging, and sovereign over all of creation. And I love this. My husband tweeted this and I just thought it was so good. It's his call because it's his creation. Come on. I love that because it really captures that absolute of God is God. He's above all. He's the supreme authority, the absolute truth over all things. So let me ask you a question, Sean. Why are absolutes so crucial? Great question. Absolutes create order and you have to understand we need that stability for civilized society. It's a level playing field of acceptable behavior for all. No one can arbitrarily make up their own rules. Imagine somebody going out to a field trying to make up their rules. I know some of y'all got little kids or were that little kid and made up your own rules to your game and you would take your ball and go home, but you can't do that as an adult. Come on, talking about adulting. You can't rewrite the script according to your story without transcending an authority. And at that point, things get complicated. Bottom line is, gang, our world depends on absolutes. Science is supposed to be the study of absolutes in nature. Scientific formulas work everywhere in the world. For every generation, you jump out of a flying plane without a parachute, you're going to die. Law of gravity applies to everyone, no matter your weight, shape, size, or affiliation. Your medication, uh, that is an absolute. Obviously, you don't want to go over dosages. That's the reason why the doctors and, and pharmacists are paid so much. Food preservation, fuel consumption in your automobile. You listen to the manufacturer on that thing. If it takes the highest quality of unleaded gas or diesel, all of these depend on absolutes and it works each and every time if it is done properly. Now, biblically, here's what the Bible puts it. It puts it like this in Isaiah 520. It says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light, light for darkness, who puts bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So you have to understand in Genesis, one of the first things that God did is he separated light from darkness, land from water, day from night. He created binary absolutes and he separated. He created them male and female. And so you have to understand this passage, Isaiah, and the understanding of Genesis is giving you uh, 
if you will, a window into God the Father. In contrast to this lack of absolute value, uh, the Bible teaches that right and wrong, good and evil are absolutes. They are ultimately and immutably defined by God. He placed it in the human heart, a recognition of these absolutes. It's called your conscience. How many of you know when your conscience is telling you, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't run those lights, you shouldn't take advantage, you should be honest about the extra change they gave you at the cash register, you know, at the store you're at, uh, Whole Foods, wherever you're at. That conscience tells you right from wrong. When a person goes so far in defiance that he or she is no longer able to recognize this distinction, then destruction hovers. Ooh, Here's another good. question. Why are absolutes so crucial? Great question. You know, first of all, let's really just establish this fact that we expect truth because we were made in God's image. The reason for this is simple, because God created human beings in his likeness. We find this in Genesis 127, because he's truth and we're made in his image. We have a longing for truth in our bones. Wow, that's we, good. Come on. We expect truth from each other and we respect truth when we see it. Everyone expects truth. Facts. Come on, right? Every one of us. We're like, I expect people to tell me the truth that when I ask them something, what they're telling me is true. And that's why nearly every segment of society condemns any form of hypocrisy or people being fake. And that's in every sphere. We see that. Nobody respects a poser. Nobody. People may say things like, you know, truth is relative or every person has their own truth, but nobody actually believes that consistently. And we see that because those people that declare truth is relative are the same people who get offended when someone insults them or steals from them, sleeps with their spouse or otherwise backstabs them. It's because they want truth in their dealings with other people. And in fact, we all want the same thing, truth in our relationships. But what's incredible is we often want the truth of what we view it as truth, right? Mm -hmm. So these people that are making this statement are offended by their own belief system. That question really is good. And that's a great response. I would add to how does truth affect your behavior is that when you believe that there is an objective standard for distinguishing right from wrong, you acknowledge that there are fundamental moral guidelines that exist independent of your personal opinion. Let me just say that again. You got to understand no matter who you are, that there are fundamental guidelines that exist independent of your personal opinion. So you can't just say, hey, I'm of the mind or I just feel. No, no, no. You have to have something greater than you guiding your choices. Your truth view acts as a lens through which you see all of life and its many choices. And we all know how you see things or what your perspective is also influences your preceding actions. When you take away truth, things begin to fall apart. Morality has taken a huge hit in the last few decades when morality is reduced to personal taste instead of absolutes. People exchange the moral question, what is good? For the pleasure question, what feels good? And in answering that question, they adjust their morals to rationalize their actions and choices. Absolutes and the person of Jesus Christ are supposed to be the foundation of our lives. Your life will not be able to stand under the weight of the pressure and the spirit of this age if you do not have the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ as your foundation. And today we see many people have cracked and, and decaying foundations, and it doesn't matter what the rest of your house looks like. You can have the Malibu house, but if it's on a cracked foundation, it's going to slide down the side of that mountain in the Pacific. Because without a strong foundation, the word of God, absolutes as God calls them, your house is going to fall. And even David said in Psalms 11 verse 3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If your house has cracks in the foundation, it will not stand. You know, there are really several downfalls of living 
in the gray and rejecting truth. And we really have to understand there is a ripple effect if you don't know what your absolute truth is, which is obviously the word of God. And we believe that. And we recognize that if you don't have that anchor point in you, you're going to be looking for everyone's version of truth, which is incredibly deceiving. And we see this because we live in a world that wants to herd you into a pin. Because when truth doesn't matter to an individual, it's really easy to be deceived. Now, let's talk about psychic hotlines. You know, I love HGTV and I love like home design shows. And it's amazing to me how lately I'm seeing such a very blatant agenda. And these even these home, I'm just looking for a home renovation. That's all. I just like the before and afters. That's what I'm going after people. But it's amazing how a lot of these designers are so stressed out or having personal crisis. And what are they bringing on to these home design shows? Tarot card readings, um, astronomy, astrology readings, psychic readings. And I'm going, everyone's looking for someone to tell them what the truth is, someone to give them some sort of comfort and assurance. But the only comfort, assurance and truth we're going to find out that is an anchor point that is unwavering, that isn't based on someone's uh, place of deception is the word of God and who the Lord is. Because we're walking around in a world that is, you know, uh, looking to psychics. And if that was true, and if we actually believe psychics held all the answers in the palms of their hands, then why would they put for entertainment purposes only at the bottom of the screens during all the commercials? Hey, come on. Right. So we're seeing all this tarot card reads. It's becoming so much more on the forefront. I feel like this stuff used to be kind of more on the back, but it's very front and center right now. At least I'm seeing it a lot. Tarot card reading, dabbling in the adult humanism, new age, false religions. You know, these are all such uh, tools that the enemy uses to deceive people and really from a place of taking them off of really what is truth. And there are agendas from fringe groups that want to normalize their slants and their biases, life choices, and immorality. And again, if you don't know, and if you don't care what truth is, you're going to be easily deceived. That is powerful. I'd say another downfall in in the absence of absolutes is when truth doesn't matter, decision-making becomes selfish and destructive. Yes. So when you don't have an absolute truth, all of a sudden that needle turns inward when it really should point upward and outward. Where there's no standard of absolute truth, we begin begin living our lives from our own vantage point, which is called selfish living. We want what we want. We have a what's in it for me mentality. I want immediate gratification. I won't stop until I get it. When people don't submit to my absolute understanding of opinion of what truth should be, chaos abounds. We see the implication of this every day, right? We see school shooting, suicide, sexual immorality. And of course, I'm not saying that everyone who does not believe in absolute truth ends up shooting someone, but I guarantee destructive, unhealthy, wrong choices will always outweigh right choices when you've thrown out the absolutes and the end results are always staggering. You know, and I would say, I just continue to add this conversation because I just, I love this. This is really talking about what are downfalls? If you reject truth and you live in the gray and you're saying there's not an absolute truth, I would, I would add to this that when absolute truth is thrown out, the substitutes for decision-making really become deficient. Most people like to believe that they have some basis for the decisions they make. So we've often constructed our own standards. And the number one thing you see for people making a decision today is popular opinion. So they're looking at the majority, right? And you only have to look so far as TV or social media to know that what society thinks is popular opinion is a good basis for making decisions. So otherwise, why would our advertisements tell us to catch the wave or, you know, choice of a new generation or all these ads appeal to the idea of everyone's doing it and you should too. So that has such a sway in it, right? That has such a sway in our culture. So if you don't know what truth is, if you don't, if you've rejected truth, you've rejected, excuse me, the concept of an absolute truth, popular opinion in a world that has, is not serving God, right? In a society that is not God fearing, your opinions are going to quickly become deceived and really become deficient is maybe even an equally good word. And understanding that popular 
opinion is what sways you, it will actually is what will actually undermine you. And then also just another thing to consider when we're talking about this is feelings, right? Our feelings can be incredibly deceiving. And we these are a, another area that we use to gauge and make an opinion and what we determine truth as. If I feel it, then it's true. Well, so true. that's not true. Emotions are perhaps the most popular basis for making choices today. After all, how can anyone argue with how you feel? So if feelings are a good standard for decision making, then you'll never have to come up with a better defense than I did it because I felt like it. And I think we have to understand that is such a moving part in our life. There's nothing stable about that basis point being our decision making factor. Next question. I keep hearing about relativism. What is it and why are people attracted to it? You know, I want to begin here. And that is a great question, by the way. And I, I believe the assessment of relativism begins with an interaction in Matthew 21 verses 23 through 27 that Jesus had with some practical relevance of his day, which were the Pharisees and the scribes. And it says simply, it says, when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. And they said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them. I will also ask you one question. If you would tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come from? From heaven or from man? Now notice, I'm going to stop right here. Notice he gave them a binary choice. It's an absolute. Either the baptism of John either comes from God or it doesn't come from God. There's no in between. So here's what Jesus is establishing when they're asking, where did you get authority? Because they're wanting Jesus to absolutely answer their question. Now I'll continue the passage. It says, and they discussed it among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say for man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So that they answered Jesus, we do not know, which that was not accurate. They were just trying to find a gray, a gray area. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You got to just love Jesus. Anybody listening right now, keep on hundred chime. You got to love the wisdom of Jesus. But let's, let's break this down, okay? Let's look carefully how the chief priests and the elders deal with truth. Jesus is truth, and he's telling them truth, and it's pretty evident John the Baptist is from God, from heaven. So Jesus asked them to take a stand on a simple truth claim. Either John's baptism is from heaven or from man. Declare what you believe to be the truth. They ponder it, and so here's their thought process. If we say John's baptism is from heaven, then we'll be shamed because Jesus will know that we're hypocrites because basically they hadn't obeyed John, and they hadn't understood that here's the one that John prophesied about Jesus standing before him, the Messiah. And they said, we don't want to live that out, and we're going to be shamed before the crowds. But if we say, this is, again, the mentality of the chief priests and the elders, but if we say that John's baptism is from men, we may be harmed by the crowd because they all believe he was a prophet. There could be some mob violence. Uh, there's going to be some clap back and, and cast in shade, y'all. No, I just threw that in. <laughs> Therefore, since we do not want to be shamed, and since we do not want to be harmed by a mob, they're basically saying, we're going to say neither of them are true. John's baptism, we're not even going to say it's from heaven or from man. We're going to assert another statement to be truth. So here's what they're doing. We're not going to go, Jesus, with your binary proposition. We're going to go non-binary. Mm. And what are we to make of this? Bottom line, you can see the seeds of relativism here. The elders and the chief priests have already reasoned. If we say this, then that's going to happen. We don't like that. And we say that, that's going to happen. That's not, And we don't like that. And so they reason carefully. Why? Hear, hear this. Keep it 100 try. Because truth is not at stake for them. No, they were at stake. So they didn't want to be shamed. They didn't want to be opposed. And so they ultimately protected self-interest by not standing with truth and an absolute. And they did it in front of the crowd. And they did it before God. And that's how we will always remember these confused religious leaders. That is so well said. What an incredible illustration. It really shows us firsthand what the word of God says about that. You know, we saw a modern day example recently. It was an infant 
infamous moment that happened when Jackson, the latest Supreme Court justice appointee at the time, uh, she would not define what a woman is by answering she wasn't a biologist. So she was asked, can you please define what a woman is? And she said, I'm not a biologist. And so friends, this was such an incredible picture. It really is. It really, to me, sums up where we are at in our society that a Supreme Court justice felt so much pressure from current culture that she's actually unwilling to state the most basic of truth. We have to really evaluate that in our own lives, that people on every sphere of society, there is such a pressure of relativism and that belief system and that self-protection that I don't want to put myself in the line of fire, that if the haters are going to hate, I don't want them to hate on me. And a really understanding that that's actually not a choice or a preference. It's actually a false belief system called relativism, right? So when you remove an absolute, which is a fixed standard, there is no longer a God who dispenses truth, no longer a bar to aim for or to hold ourselves accountable to, friends. That's relativism. Relativism believes truth is actually found in us, that we set the bar whatever wherever we want it. We can move it up or down as we see fit in order to fit the choices that we want to make at that time. So when truth is found in us, it's actually hard to be wrong ever (laughs) because we're setting the bar and we're always going to clear it, right? We're always going to make it adjustable to fit and to condone our beliefs for those moments. Relativism sets up really a fantasy world where you no longer have to face being wrong or failing because reality is what you make it. Snap. Next question. Can a person be of cultural relativism and be a Christ follower at the same time? I love this question. And because it's so apparent in our society right now, I I really think it's healthy that we draw a biblical line. And I think we need to draw a biblical line, especially for the millennials, for the Gen Z, because we have a generation that's coming up that is in such a questioning place of what is absolute truth. So I want I, I want people to hear this, that when Christians take a stand on a given moral issue, like for example, abortion, what are some typical responses? Someone might say, what right do you have to push your morality on the rest of us? Or abortion might be wrong for you, but it's not wrong for me. What these people are implying is that such beliefs are relative. That is, they're related to something else or an individual's desires or circumstances, for example. So because people change through time, however, something that is true or good for a person today might not be so tomorrow. And they believe nothing is true or good for all people at all times. That's relativism. So Christianity, I want you to hear this. Christianity does not give us the option to be relativists. Christianity is a belief system that is deeply rooted in absolute truth. In fact, it stands or falls based on historical event being true or false. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we might as well pack it up and call it a day. So progressive Christians view the Bible as a record of what people believed about God in times and places in which they lived rather than the inspired and authoritative word of God. It's not uncommon for a progressive Christian to express disagreement with a biblical writer or to reject the passages they find unhelpful. Friends, this really matters because if we give ourselves permission to deny or ignore the scriptures that don't fit into our preconceived ideas about who God is and how he acts in the world, we will have effectively transferred the authority from truth from the Bible to our own thoughts, feelings, and preferences. And friends, you cannot worship God without accepting absolute truth. Say that again for the people in the back. You cannot worship God without accepting absolute truth. And you know, I would just jump in and add, you know, God believes in absolute truth. In fact, you can't worship God if you reject this idea that truth is absolute. John 4.23, Jesus declared a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
There are a lot of people that want to worship the Father in spirit, but be able to accommodate their sin, be able to accommodate their compromise, be able to accommodate their alternate view of how their lifestyle can still be blessed of God. But the Bible says the true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And it goes on to say, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Our job is to to become the worshipers that the Father is seeking. And I'll I'll give a great example of this. After St. Augustine's conversion to Christianity, he wrote a fairly comprehensive response to another Christian, Faustus, attack on the authorship of the gospel. Now, when I say he was a Christian, he was identifying as a Christian, but there was a fault line in his whole theology. And St. Augustine is about to go savage on it. So check it out. Here is what St. Augustine says to Faustus, who attacks the authorship of the gospel. So it's like the guys today that say, hey, just read the red of the Bible, what Jesus says apply to you. The Old Testament doesn't apply to you. Or Paul didn't really know what he was talking about when he says they would receive uh, the, the judgment or penalty within themselves. When it talks about that in Romans, like people that try to pick and choose the parts of the Bible they want in their life. Here's what St. Augustine said to Faustus, who was essentially doing the same thing that we see today in people that have written books on it. He wrote, you ought to say plainly that you do not believe the gospel of Christ. For to believe what you please and not to believe what you please is to believe yourselves and not the gospel. And isn't Augustine right? Like if you pick and choose out of the Bible what you want to believe, it's not the Bible you believe. It's you you believe. And Augustine was calling him out for that. And he puts his finger on this timeless truth. Christianity is not progressive. I know that there are authors uh, that come out and say hell is not a literal place or God's love covers all universal con- uh, inclusion. No matter how you live, you can live whatever way you want. Everybody's going to heaven in the end. Uh, that is not true. That does not stand with God's word. God is the one who's going to judge us. He's given us his word because his word will judge us. So you got to understand Christianity is not progressive. Progressive would imply that you can improve on Christianity or truth is only truth depending on the epic era, year, or century you live in or the culture you're at. We've already established that's not true. Christianity is not progressive and those who try to mold it into their own preconceived ideas about who God should be and what the gospel is should not try and twist scripture to make their points. And they certainly shouldn't call it Christian. That's what Augustine was saying. Come and, on. and it's as it happens in Augustine's time, it's exactly what's happening today. You know, we live in a time where there's such a battle over truth and over absolute truth. And so we're even seeing this. I just love to continue to bring modern day examples so we really can have it pinpointed in our current society. And so we recognize it's happening all around us. You know, this fall, we're talking fall of 2022, New Jersey's Department of Education will be teaching young children in second grade, y'all, second grade, seven and eight year olds to ponder their gender identity. I, I can't, I can't. And it's interesting because we're even seeing in the world of science, science is actually saying that treating a child with cross sex hormones, estrogen for boys and testosterone for girls is actually a very serious matters. And research actually, and this is just secular research, actually supports that when minors experience confusion about their sexuality, these feelings actually resolve on their own 88 to 98% of the time. Think about that. Think like, about it. You just leave a kid to themselves, it to will resolve Jesus. itself to encounter Jesus. Or for that matter, it's right. saying 88 to 98% of everybody. Correct. So there, it's just like, it's just in that time, your brain isn't formed. You got all these influences around you. I, when I was a young kid, I wanted to be rich instead of ghetto. I felt like if I was another color, maybe I'd have a better chance. I wanted to be this. I wanted to be that. And then it would change. You ask the kid what they want to be one day. It's, I want to be a president. I want to be a hip hop star. I want to be, it all changes. Now to, to underscore your fact that you just brought out that it isn't good science to treat children with cross-sex hormones. Right. There are certain countries, I read this article, Boo, there are certain countries that are ahead of us in the area of giving gender uh, treatment to kids. And it's, I, I read this article, they have halted because they're already seeing side effects wow. of giving gender treatment and 
modification things to kids that are underage. And I'm thinking, man, if we're seeing that, man, hey, pump the brakes. Something's wrong with that. And, and we need to understand, hey, New Jersey Department of Education, and they're not the only one. We don't want to pick on them all over. You got to understand what are you doing to kids when you're you're moving the boundary lines. And 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 let's just take it from, from another aspect. Parents and family members are the most important people in a child's life. They, sh- they should be the first ones to whom uh, sex ed is t- taught to to begin with or to handle these issues. And they should be the first ones to whom teachers and school officials turn uh, when educators spot depression in a child or a minor that's confused about their sexuality. That's not the teacher's job. You teach the subject you're being paid to teach. And, and telling school leaders that they cannot uh, keep secrets about a child from their parents is not censorship or discrimination. It's protection. You know, we really have to understand that in this created but broken world we live in, we understand that not all identities or feelings are to be accepted or fostered because we're all guided by a mixture of broken desires. The great Bible story of creation, the fall and redemption, it tells us that we should not be shocked that people experience desires that will not in fact bring about the wholeness they're actually seeking. And equally, we can never be self-righteous about how others struggle or sin. You know, come on, at a time like this, I really believe Christians need the courage to defend a true vision for humanity, flourishing based on the biblical understanding of being made in God's image. But all the conviction in the world will not matter if we don't act or speak with compassion, right? I mean, Jesus did not aim to win arguments. He sought to love people. So we must, as his followers, do the same as Jesus did. And as we base our convictions in God's unchanging, perfect, absolute word, we must speak with compassion in our hearts. We never waver from the truth, but we always operate in love. At Keep It 100 Tribe, as always, here is the Keep It 100 takeaways. In this episode, we're talking about the three sources of absolutes. Number one, absolutes. The absolute that people can fall to is that they make themselves the absolute. But the point I want to make is man cannot be the measure of an absolute. There was an ancient Greek philosopher, Protagoras. He claimed that man is the measure of all things. Understood in the individual sense, this means each person is a standard for right and wrong. Uh, The morally right thing to do is what is morally right for me and what is right for me may be wrong for another person, et cetera, et cetera. This theory is morally unacceptable because it implies that an act can be right for someone, even if it's cruel, hateful, or tyrannical. Further, if this theory were put into practice, society would be rendered inoperative. There can be no true community where there is no common core of basic values. If everyone literally is doing their own thing, chaos would result. That's the reason why even Starbucks or Google, anybody you work for, they have core values that if you work there, you have to come under that absolute of what they're trying or otherwise you'd go to different places, you get different services. It would be, it would be chaos. And so the bottom line is you, you have an understanding that there are certain people that feel the absolute is found in man. And the first point I want to tell you is man cannot be the measure. You cannot be the measure. Someone else cannot be the measure for what an absolute is. The second keep it 100 takeaway is right is not what brings pleasure is not an absolute. Yep. Years ago, there was a philosopher, Epicurus, and Epicurus himself was actually more of a moderate. And some Epicureans, 4th century BC and following, were hedonists who claimed that what brings pleasure is morally right and what brings pain is morally wrong. But since few things are all pleasure or all pain, that formula for determining what is good is actually more complicated. The good they claim is what brings the most pleasure and the least pain to the greatest number of people. So it begins to become really confusing and chaotic when you begin to use their standard of what is morally right is what brings pleasure. So we see this again and again, if you bring this to hard 
complicated social issues that we face today, that actually doesn't land at all. That theory doesn't actually hold up because we see things that are like sadism and child trafficking and child abuse and pedophile and whatnot. So obviously that may feel good to the violator, but to the person being victimized, trafficked and exploited, that doesn't feel good. And so that truth and obviously that landing place of the absolute doesn't hold up. So we have to understand that this theory, though, does not specify what kind of pleasure should be should be used as a basis of the test because clearly it has massive faulty points. And number three, absolutes. And this is the answer. Here's the clue. I'm giving you the clue. Good is found in God's will. One final alternative is to define good in terms of what God wills. Whatever action God specifies is a good action. That is the good action. Conversely, if God specifies an action to be evil, then it's evil. Thus, the bottom line is moral good is both ultimate and specific. It is ultimate because it comes from God. It's specific because it could be found in his revelation to humanity, i.e. the word of God. If it's God's design, then it is an absolute. If it's God's design, it has eternal purpose and will bring him glory and is for our betterment. Who or what could oppose that? Who, whatever would oppose it, let me just say, is what would do you harm and is conspiring to keep you from God's ultimate blessing. Truth and falsehood have never been a matter of the majority vote because we know that there is a creator who has authority to decide and state what is right and wrong. But God is saying in Genesis, understand this, you are who he created you to be. The truth is not something we feel or is based on our self-perception. In fact, scripture tells us that the fallen heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? You can find that in Jeremiah 17, 9. We cannot trust our own thoughts and feelings, so we need to submit them to God because we can trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. That's Isaiah 26, 4. And then I'll throw in one more scripture. John 10, 35. John 10, 35 says, scripture cannot be broken. At the end of the day, everybody, scripture will not be broken. I love that. So as followers of Christ agreeing with the word of God does not mean, listen to me, that we deny the pain of people, for instance, in gender dysmorphia, or that those who are suffering over their, their personal struggle. We're called to love them, but we're also called to stand with truth and keep our absolutes and our boundaries and the standard of God's word. You know, and just continuing that conversation, because I love what you just shared, Sean. It's so powerful. You know, good is found in God's will. And this is the final keep it 100 takeaway. And I just want to add to that, you know, if some people might hear that and then they ask just that theological question of why then did God put a tree in the garden that you couldn't actually eat of? And theologians have actually speculated at length about why God would put a tree in the garden of Eden that he didn't want anyone to use. And for our purposes, it's enough to observe that not everything that can be done should be done. See, Mm. God is good and he creates protective barriers for us that actually protect us. We can go and do anything, but when we're in the truth of God, there's a protective place that we can access. You know, human imagination and skill can work in ways consistent to God's intents, purposes, and commands. And if we want to work with God rather than against him, we must choose to observe the limits that actually God sets around us rather than experimenting with every possibility in creation. And so us understanding that we're talking about the necessity and the need for absolute truth. And we really have to understand that this is so apparent in our current day society. As you're listening to today's episode, Sean and I would really encourage the Keep 100 tribe to take time and actually evaluate what you're allowing to be your truth. If it's not rooted in the word of God, I really want you to come and look at it once again, because there is such a bombarding of relativism and false belief systems that are really coming against the foundation of the absolute truth, which is the infallible word of God. And I think so many times there are belief systems that can infiltrate within us and we don't even realize it because we're so surrounded by it. There's so much propaganda. 
pushing these ideas and thoughts and belief systems all around us. So I really encourage you, don't just hear this episode. I want you to take some time to take some inventory of your belief system and what does absolute truth look like in your life and does it line up with the word of God? And you know, I would just add in closing too, and I think you nailed it by talking about the garden, that God actually put a tree in a garden and you go, why would he put that tree in a garden? I love what you said that, hey, just because it's there doesn't mean that that's something you should pursue. But I think what it really comes down to is this, is that God in the midst of that honor choice, but he also lets us know that if we make the right choice, we can live the right life. And that right choice is to connect and call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and begin to understand that he is the absolute authority. And when you make him the absolute authority in your life, what he says in his word will become true for you. Thanks so much for tuning into the Keep It 100 podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and refer us to your friends. And be sure to click that subscribe button so that you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop. Help us get the word out. Share this link on your social media platforms and check us out at seanandkristasmith.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Sean and Krista Smith Ministries. We would love to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you. So be sure to show us some love. Hey gang, join us next episode as we continue this conversation on absolutes, specifically hitting on some hot topics. And we have a surprise for you. And remember, relief may change your circumstance, but a revelation will change you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram and seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it 100.